What's up, y'all? I'm your host, Sensei NK, back again with another video, baby. Ah, uh, yes. Perfect intro. But today, we're talking about love languages. Uh, this is part This is part two to the episode of Simpin and activities such as that. So, enjoy. And today, I'm with my guest. Hey, I'm Greta. First off, wait, no. I'm not even going to get into that. Why? How do you say video when it's a podcast? I've been thinking about this. It's, it's, uh, it sounds nice. Okay. Okay. So, hi, I'm Greta. Um, I'm a Scorpio. My Instagram's at Greta E. Cross, G-R-E-T-A-E-C-R-O-S-S. Don't follow her. It's, she doesn't post fun things. I just don't, like, post. That too. <laughs> that, that too. <laughs> still follow me. I'm alive. Uh, I, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you. Follow me, and I'll see you like my things. And if you DM me, which you probably won't, I will see that too. Will I accept the request? Maybe. Okay, that is an open invitation to I'm shoot your shot. <laughs> it sure is. Um, but yeah, today we're talking about love languages and explain. Well. Love languages, there's five different types of love languages, and it was developed by uh, Gary Chapman, who is an anthropologist and a philosophist, and he wrote a book in 1992 called The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. I don't know why he said mate. I don't know if he's Australian. It sounds stupid, first <laughs> off, so I don't, I don't like that. Like, I don't like saying that. Um, but essentially, um, he, ha- he has a website, too, and you can take, like, a little quiz, um, it's developed into like six different types of quizzes and it's really intricate so you can take it if you're a child you could take it if you're a teen a single like single a couple and then also military and then there's also one other but essentially um it delves down into five different types of love languages there's words of affirmation acts of service receiving gifts quality time and physical touch okay so um, for so for the words of affirmation right so basically, is they always need to get their head gassed up because deep inside, it's like, it makes them feel better? Is that like the... Essential, essentially. And I mean, like, it's not coming from a place of insecurity, per se. Like, that's a different, that's a different idea. They just like words of affirmation. So like, compliments, being assured, you know, I love yous, blah, blah, blah this, that, and the third. Oh, okay, okay. What's what's the next one? Hmm? What's the next one? The next one is acts of service. And so, like, that one is going to be, like, help, like, if, let's say you're in, like, a domestic partnership where you're living together, that's going to be, like, helping with chores and homework. I don't know what people do. <laughs> um, um, but things along that line. A lot of them are pretty self-explanatory. Okay. So, so, just just name them off, and we'll go into detail for each one. Okay, yeah, so I'll just keep going. So, then the third one is receiving gifts. So, they like giving Thanks. gifts. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> not to be confused with, like, materialism. Like, it's not coming from, like, a materialistic standpoint. It's more like it's the thought that counts behind the gift. It doesn't have to be some big-ass gift. It could be little things, and they're still going to appreciate it just as much. It's they a way of, of like, remembering? Is it a way to, like, yeah, remember like the 
the situation yeah. they're in. Okay, well, that's fair. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then after that is going to be quality time. And so they love quality time, but specifically like undivided attention. So distractions when you're talking to them or even like postponed activities can be really, really hurtful. Um, also, I might add to like the word of, the words of affirmations is that they take insults very seriously. So like if somebody like insult you or like somebody insults them like they will remember it because it's literally the antonym of words of affirmation (laughs) (laughs) um anyway so going back to quality time so yeah like distractions and postponed activities can be really hurtful um the last one is physical touch so these people are very touchy they could even be tactile learners um you know hugs kisses cuddles touches on the arm etc are all things that they appreciate and is also the way that they understand and communicate and the thing is about the love languages is you can have more than one love language. And if you take the quiz, it will show that you have a primary love language, um, a secondary love language, and a distant love language. And of course, it's scored on a scale of like 1 to 12 for each individual one, but it can add up to like 30 or something. Oh, okay. And yeah. so you can have the same score for two of them, meaning you just value both of those languages just as much as the other. And then you'll have a secondary one, and then the rest would be distant. And everybody can fall under one or more of these categories unless your score is, like, a complete zero, you know? Okay, I feel you. I feel you. Okay, so, hmm, while you were talking, I was trying to, like, put myself in the mindset of, like, the languages, right, to try to figure out what my own language would be. And, honestly, now that I think about it, I feel like I'm more of a, of a, what's the touching one? I like the physical touch. Um... (laughs) <laughs> and the words of affirmation but i don't i don't think it comes from like um i don't know because like you said it said you said that it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to come from insecurities right but i feel like for a lot of people it does though yeah and i mean that's just on them pretty much <laughs> like if you aren't handling yourself in a healthy way in a domestic partnership then Whose fault is that? It's either your fault or it's the way that you grew up and you conditioned and you haven't healed from it. Okay. You know, so it's like accountability is key. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, going on what you said about people healing, do you feel like people are affected too? That would be funny. I'm sorry. Like you said the question, and then like I didn't even let you finish. I just said no. I didn't <sighs> you make me upset, Continue. but um, honestly, the more that I think about it, I feel like people are hurt at a young age, and they refuse to actually come to wits with it. Mm-hmm. That's why they. That's why as time passes, people get more like toxic in the way that they're that they even see love as. Like, they're, they're okay with the toxic things. They're more... Actually, not that they're okay with it. It's more like they want it. You feel me? I wouldn't say that they necessarily want it. I think it's just that they become accustomed. Like, they don't know what normal is. And from a young age, like, we're born as a blank slate. And so if that's how they've been preconditioned, then they're not going to know how to act right because they've never been set an example on how to act right. And then as they grow up, it becomes so structured in their brain that this is how life is. This is how people react towards me. This is how I react towards them. 
this is the, how things go that they don't know how to change you don't know how to change until you've been enlightened how we so go into plato's allegory in the cave if you'd like i would i had that in class like a week ago i'm so oh, ah, so such a shit ah, it's just so shitty but oh, you, i love it since you love it so much explain it to the viewer because i don't expect everyone to know about it Alright, so um, I bring it up anytime I say enlightenment. So um, I used it in my, uh, what was it, my AP Lang and Comp, um, my AP Language and Composition test, and I got like a four out of five. So they liked it, but um, Plato's Allegory of the Cave was made by Plato. And essentially, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been a couple years, but it's this dude, or it's a bunch of people actually. And they're chained in a cave, but they're chained to be facing the wall of the cave. And they have candles behind them, and the chains are so heavy they can barely pick up their necks. And they've become so pre-accustomed to the fact that the shadow on the wall made by the candle is another person. That they don't, and plus, they can't turn their heads, so they can't see what's around them. So they think that's the only thing that exists. Mm-hmm. And then this one dude gets free from the chains, and he climbs out of the cave, and he sees the rest of the world. And the light is so blinding, it nearly, like, blinds him. And he goes back down. He's like, no, there's, like, a whole other world outside. You just can't see it. And they essentially were like, you crazy. <laughs> and they just, like, banished him. And so, essentially, like, the moral of the story, an allegory is literally, like, a literary term for that there's um, morality. Or not a morality, but there's a moral behind it. The moral of it is just, like, ignorance and enlightenment and enlightenment hurts and i don't actually remember what the thing was but it makes sense to me <laughs> just enlightenment is key like i said okay yeah okay i feel it because of i'm trying because i just did it in class but like if i'm remembering right it was so first they were they were changed up they're chained up not able to like see what's going on and the dude then the dude leaves and then he actually gets to like experience what is supposed to be what's really is and then he comes back and everyone's like they don't even want to they won't even they don't even want to believe it because it's like if this whole time I was tricked there's something wrong with me instead of saying instead of being able to look between into themselves and noticing what is wrong with them said self honestly I think that's why love never works for people because now it is. It is fucked up. Oh my god, that test was so obnoxious. It was so obnoxious, but that's beyond the point. But like, I feel like now, especially for, because I want to just say just women, but like that I've noticed more for women is that they're seen as like everything they everything they do. They can't be. They're they're the prize. Da da da. That stuff, right? So there's nothing that could actually bring them down. So when what I've noticed, like, things not work out for them, not, like, work out for them in relationships as wise, like, relationship-wise, they're like, huh, it's everybody else's fault instead of, like, looking in for themselves to see what is wrong with the way I get into relationships. I feel it could go both ways because that more so just sounds like a victim mentality, which is something that I... I know well, because I, I struggled with it for a very long time, and of course, still do. I've gotten better, but I'm not cured, baby. But, um, but I just feel like maybe it's more present 
on the exterior side for women because women have either become socially accustomed or they are more biologically um, prone to show their emotions more than men. And so I feel like men internalize their victim mindset more versus women will actually go out and write people off. But I mean, I'm no gender studies major, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> huh. What do you mean by internalized? Um, just keep it quiet. Keep it hush-hush. Keep it on the down low. So you feel like, like they don't it, talk about it? Oh, okay. like try not to speak it into existence or something. Wow, that sounds dem- demonic. <laughs> but how about you? What's your language? Um, my I actually took the quiz yesterday. Um, okay. And I had I had ideas of what I was beforehand, and I was proven right. So um, my first one is physical touch. I'm a huge tactile learner. Like, I swear, people probably think I'm, like, a creep because I really be touching out on people sometimes, like, grabbing their arms and their hands, and I'm like, oh, oh, and, like, what I shouldn't be. Because <laughs> it's like, I have just met you or something, mm-hmm. but, um, so I'm physical touch. And then after that, my secondary love language is quality time. Okay. And honestly, like, I don't know what I was going to add. But I was I was going to say, like, well, meh, but then I was like, no, it's definitely quality time. They're right. <laughs> Wait, what shaped, because, like, I'm on the pre-notion that what you, what, how you were raised is how like that that shapes what who and what you are right so for your experience why do you think that from how you were raised how do you think it shaped the way that you view love as and love as your love language honestly i haven't even gotten there yet i've always wondered for physical touch i've known this from a very young age like even like my mom telling me stories about when i was in preschool like they would try and figure out kids that they were like an auditory learner or like a visual learner or like a tactile learner and I've honestly never really met another tactile learner people are mainly visual and then after that an auditory learner and when they had me tested like I would always run over to the sandbox and that's when they knew they were like uh Greta likes to touch things and so I knew from there and then and when I was having trouble in school people were visual learners and auditory learners and then like me doing math boxes how the hell is that like physical touch how the hell is that a tactile learner like it was very hard for me in elementary school and even to this day for me to be able to how to comprehend how to learn in an educational environment and that's why in dance it was so essential for me because I'm moving I can put my hand on my leg and see how my muscles are reacting and that's how I was able to learn and understand and I found that it was much more fluid and easy for me to be able to learn in a dance environment than in an academic environment even though I'm an academic person and then um, beyond that, I always felt that it was a little bit of my ADHD, too, with the physical touch. Like, sometimes I just don't be reading people's emotions well for whatever reason, but for some reason I can have always been able to understand touch. Since we're speaking so much about love languages, what to you is love? What is love? Baby, <laughs> Wait, that song is a bob. 
Was that just me? Does anybody else know that song? Everyone knows the song. Good. I don't know why I thought it was only me. Um, but... Hmm. I wasn't expecting that question. Um... <laughs> Tell my girls out there, yes, but I just couldn't be honest. Um, love. Uh, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to put it into words, because if I come out here and I say, love is a feeling, I'm going to sound really stupid. <laughs> I mean, I'm not wrong, but like, I don't know how to put it into words, because it is a feeling. I want to say that love, I mean... Wikipedia probably has broken it down into what healthy love is. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say that from my experience, it's communication and it's understanding and it's also um, empathy. Elaborate. Um, I mean, it kind of just goes to understanding you know um meeting people in the middle and compromise there we go mm. love is a compromise but then part of me is just like no it's not because i don't like compromising and i feel i feel like there's two levels of compromisation or that's not a word compromisation help me here there's two levels of compromising let's just keep it pushing there's two different types of compromising there's compromising of i'm willing to meet you in the middle and then there's compromising of i am um for lack of a better term bending my own beliefs to meet you okay and that's the one that i will not do that is reasonable compromise to meet you in the middle but i'm not changing my character i am not i'm not minimizing myself in any way to meet you if i have to do that then Bye. Unless I really like you and I'm delusional. <laughs> and then I'll regret it. <laughs> okay, I feel you, I feel you, I feel you. Um, for me, I feel like love okay. Hmm. I had the same when my friend asked me what is love, right? And I was like, huh, what is love? And then I said to myself is as of right now, for like I feel like my age demographic, we don't know it. We can't know it. It's, it's, it's too, it's too big of a atmosphere. Like it's too big of a thing to grasp right now. And that's why I feel experience too. Exactly. When are we gonna know it? Like in our fifties, when we may have been divorced. You know, like twice. Uh, uh, fifty, forty-three. 27 if you if you take your time why is so specific with the numbers because it's around around that area because like let's say 43 but what if you're 42 mm. <laughs> <laughs> just say 40 okay okay the 40s right but like i feel like since especially now that like having sex and doing all that stuff is so prominent like today that's just like the move people are on i feel I like i don't think it's more prominent today i think it's still happening at the same amount it's just that people are more open about it 
people were sucking and fucking back in the 50s. They just didn't say shit. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that's fair, that's fair. But back in the 50s, you had to stay with them. True. So, so they weren't in love either. If if they got divorced, they'll be broke. They'll both just be broke. They'll, they'll lose too much. So, that's why people... Why do you think people stay in loveless, loveless marriages? Because they're scared. <laughs> How so? <laughs> um, you're asking me, like, I've been married. <laughs> okay. But, uh, Give me your I best educated like, guess. I feel like it's probably for financial reasons, and then B, if it's been so long, they don't know what it is with, they don't know what life is without it, and so then they're like, shit, who am I without this person? Because they've compromised themselves too much to be with this person, and so now they don't know who they would be if they're just standing alone. Huh. I'm no marriage counselor, so I can't say. The fact that you said that made me think about, like, all the relationships I've seen. And I'm like, huh, a lot of them didn't work because of, like, they were, like, bound to the hip. Everywhere one person would go, the other person would go to. They would have to have the same friends. They couldn't, like, like, let's say the dude couldn't, like, go off and and live his life. Or, like live his best life or anything like that the girl couldn't like leave without like suspicion on both sides and i feel like that's kind of the reason why all of the relationships were as toxic as they were could very well be (laughs) (laughs) i'm not here to dispute that like but um i mean i feel like it also has to do with i feel like I've said it once, I'll say it again. I feel like if polyamory was a little bit more accepted in this world, people would be a lot happier. How so? Because you you cannot be bound to one person for your entire... Well, I mean, maybe you can, and if so, props to you, baby. (laughs) Everyone knows I could not. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that polyamory just isn't as societally accepted as it should be and people would be a lot more happier with it because like people I'm trying to find my my train of thought again by going through the conversation um but I feel like people just aren't meant to be bound to one person for their entire life I feel like people now this can be are you this is my opinion I feel people have many soulmates you know and that could go into spirituality of maybe there's soulmates from a past life or something I don't know but that's neither here nor there um but then, like, two, we're only designed to mate for so long. Like, check me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure we're not supposed to mate for life. And we're not. Uh, yeah. Because I was like, I think it's just for an extended period of time that's considerably long in comparison to other mammals and nouns. <laughs> um, but... I mean, I know that puffins mate for life, but I don't think What's a puffin? Do. And I was having the, hmm? What's a puffin? Puffins are like those little birds like, in like the Arctic. Okay. They're like black and white and they have little orange beaks. They're cute. You mean penguins? But No. Okay. Puffin. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that I say it out loud, it 
sounds like I'm talking about a cereal, and so now I'm worried that that's not an animal. <laughs> but whatever bird it is, I know they mate for life. So, um, but humans, I was talking to my dad about this in the car, and I mean, my dad is one of the smartest people I know, and it's not just because it's my dad. So I'm going to take him as a certified source here. He said that humans are really only supposed to mate for 17 years, which is enough for the child to be grown, and then the dude will move along. And that's the reason why women's eggs die out, but men's sperm stays fertile their entire life, because their biological reasoning is, I gotta mate more, and reproduce more, and procreate more. I am just saying synonyms at this point. <laughs> like... So, yeah, I just feel like part of us is meant not to stay in continuous, lifelong, monogamous relationships. And, like, to put it into simple terms, I can have as many friends as I want, but I can only have one boyfriend or girlfriend? Whack. <laughs> Whack. I want to bust. <laughs> but, like, that means, why, why isn't it, like... Why why is the foundation just like one one person and another person? Like man and woman. Like why is it like why is it so pushed then? If 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 by all if by what's the word I'm looking for? If it's physically wrong, is that the word I'm looking for? Biologically? If we biologically want more than one person, why is it pushed in society for us to only have like one only one partner? more just societal and religious i mean i'm i can't necessarily say but i know in more so white dominated religions or religions that became white dominated an example like christianity and catholicism it's more expected that you only have like one wife i don't know maybe he cheats but like (laughs) (laughs) like one wife meanwhile you look at um, religions that are more involved with people of color and my source right now is my um, eighth grade geography teacher miss yang shout out um she was from laos and she said that more religions or religions that were more uh based and founded by people of color are more accepting to uh polyamory because she always said she didn't know if her son was actually her husband's or the mailman's wow okay or like, if, I don't know, maybe it was her uncle who said that, but she, she, she said that to us. I wasn't paying attention, but I knew that was a story. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the son was a nephew. I don't know. <laughs> School is weird, but continue. Um, but yeah, I feel like probably it just has to do with like colonization, maybe dominance of Eurocentricism. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. But as love comes, I feel like a big part of love is attachments. What uh-huh. transitions on fleek? Okay, but what what do you know about? <laughs> what are the attachment styles that you're t- that you're? Well, funny that you would mention that, sir, because there are actually four attachment styles. It's crazy. You even said the exact word. Mm. <laughs> crazy. Absolutely crazy. So there's four 
uh, different types of attachment styles. And to be honest with you, Chief, I could not tell you the psychologist that made this. Um, I psyched to go is the plug, and so is my therapist. So, okay. Um, it is what it is, but continue. My therapist stated it, and I, hmm? It is what it is, so continue. It is what it is. My therapist stated it, and so, you know what? She got a license, so I'm a believer. Um, but there's four different types of attachment styles, and I'm only going to be talking about three-ish because the fourth one is secure, and that's kind of just redundant. But um, <laughs> I'll get into it, but not too much. So the first one, um, the, or actually, let me name all four of them first. So there's anxious preoccupied, dismissive avoidant, fearful avoidant, and then there's secure. <clears throat> so um, people who have the anxious preoccupied attachment style tend to romanticize love because it's easier for them to form a fantasy bond in their head. Um, in a sense, in a, in a sense, everyone has been getting less happy. So I'm feeling like it's it's not on purpose. But since the way that everybody else is ha- the way that everyone else is acting is influencing everybody else, so it's like a vicious cycle of people like, not it's not necessarily feeling worse, but like feeling worse. Am I? Does that does that sound like I'm capping? Does it? <laughs> about oh shit oh oh somebody did you know those like yolo things where you could ask people questions right this person was like five g's question mark and i was so confused i think you just i think it's the cell towers i think that's what they were talking about yeah that's what they're saying it's like coronavirus isn't real and it's actually just cell towers that they're putting up they're making you stay in your home so they can put up more cell towers and it's affecting us in our bloodstream I mean, Cap. probably, but I think that coronavirus is real. Okay, okay, okay. At least, at least you believe that part. Stay home, yeah. please stay home. I didn't cuss stay y'all. Home, bitch, I want to go outside so bad. Um. I want to go outside so bad, and all y'all motherfuckers going out there <laughs> and still going outside and seeing your friends. Well, I hope because you have not seen the nurses who are like crying and shit. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bro. I didn't cuss people enough on my last episode about the coronavirus, so I'm doing it now. Please respect yourself. Just, just, just respect yourself. And respect others if you don't respect yourself. Damn, I don't care what you think of yourself, but at least think of others, baby. Facts. Okay. Okay. All right. Back to your scheduled program. What's <laughs> what? That was our ad. <laughs> what's the next attachment style? Um. So the next one is dismissive avoidant. So people who have the dis- I almost tripped up on my words, but I stopped myself. 
Dismissive is a hard word for me to say. I'm going to just say that right now. But people with a dismissive avoidant attachment style, they tend to be emotionally distant in relationships. They can come across as self-sufficient. So like I said, there's that reliance on people who are either too reliant on others or people who are too reliant on themselves. This is a case where people are too reliant on themselves. And so, like I said, that they can come across as self-sufficient and independent and they try to avoid true intimacy. Um, and as we've been new, well, hopefully, um, space is essential in relationships for people to like recuperate and breathe and such. Mm-hmm. But dismissive and avoidant people, they seek it out more uh, because essentially they're just trying to avoid vulnerability with their partner and um if the partner just so happens to like threaten to leave them or something along those lines they have the ability to shut down all their emotions and just pretend that they don't care wow um yeah they're essentially like their independence be a lie though because you know we need connection to survive and um as a result they have, often have very few close relationships and things along that line. Well, key. I'm this... really trying to avoid saying the word dismissive so I didn't mess up. <laughs> <laughs> Low key, that's, that style reminds me of like that one dude that got hurt once in like middle school and they like changed like forever. That, that's, what that, that's, that's what I got from that. Honestly, is that such a... Trust bitches no more like that. Oh, God. Oh, God. I think that's a Frank Ocean there. (laughs) Or Blonde. It's Before Nights. Whatever song's Before Nights. I think it's solo. I didn't listen to that whole album. But, yeah. Um, Is this so much of a bad... No. Is that so much of a bad thing? Being this type of person? Oh, sorry. You were asking me a question. I thought you were doing a... And also, I was kind of mad at you for not listening to the whole album. Oh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was like, man, I was like, um, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's a bad, pe- a bad thing, because, I mean, accept people for who they are, but again, like, don't accept what you don't think that you deserve. You need to work on, and work on in a healthy manner. Honestly, I feel like that's, that, a lot of psychopaths, sociopaths, psychopaths? Which one's the one that... I know that... the difference, but I can't explain it. Well, I'm, I could try. <laughs> like, there's there's one stat where it's like, um, once you get past, like, in a, in, in a work chain, right? Once you get past, like, a certain point, like, 85% of them are, like, psychopaths. Because they're able to, like, compartmentalize, like, people and change how they are so they could... In a sense, manipulate. Ma- wow, I, I just said that word completely. Manipulate, manipulate, manipulate. Yeah, so they can manipulate the person that they're that they're trying to gain stuff from. So, what was my point? Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So that takes me back to what I'm saying before. Is that a bad thing? Well, again, I don't think that. If we're going the route of sociopaths and psychopaths, I don't think that they're necessarily bad people either. If you're born with a with a mental illness or a learning disability, that doesn't make you any less human. It's how you cope and it's how you get help. Because people who have 
psychopathy is that how you'd say it or sociopathy i don't know if those are the correct if that's the correct terminology um how you would say it. but people who are psychopaths or people who are sociopaths who try and get help they recognize these things where it's like they fall into these tendencies of manipulating people blah blah, blah this that and the third, whatever the symptoms are i honestly don't fully know i know some stuff but not fully um and they get help for that and they recognize where that starts to happen where they don't have the boundaries and the understanding and the recognition on when they start to manipulate or when they start crossing that line. So I think nothing's necessarily innately bad unless you start to use that power in a negative way. Mm. So it's once it's once it's acknowledged, that's when it's a problem. Once it's, once it's acknowledged and they still say, yes, I'm still going to partake in this. Okay, I feel um, it. Yeah, I think it's more about how the person uses it versus the actual style in and of itself or the detachment in and of itself. Do you think parents do that? With their kid? Manipulate? Not manipulate, but like... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just like the way that the way that parenting is set up, is it set up to manipulate your kid? I think it depends on the type of parent, but I mean, like, kids really be stubborn and don't listen, and so sometimes you really be lying to them. And even like fun things that we think are just like fun, like telling people that Santa Claus is real, you know? Like, damn, we really been manipulating. <laughs> Kids <laughs> to believe in this dude, and you know, turning on the car light while you're driving during the night isn't illegal, apparently. It's not illegal to not do it. No, it's like, yeah, like you can turn on the light in your car while you're driving, and it's not illegal. That doesn't feel right to say. I feel like it is. But apparently it's not. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm I'm a horrible driver, so. Okay. Good. Good to know. Good to know. And what is the last form of attachment? Um, the last form. Of, well, there's two. Oh. But like oh. I said, the, the, I'm gonna mention the other one briefly. But um, the other one is the fearful avoidant, and so the fearful avoidant is actually just kind of like a mixture of both. Um. And once it's explained, it's kind of self-explanatory. But they fear being too close, but yet they fear going too far. And like, and being too distant from their lover. Thus, fearful, but they're also avoiding. Um, they can be unpredictable, and they can often be overwhelmed by their like, own emotions. And such like that. Um, they understand that they have to like approach other people in order to have conversations and to bond and to eventually find love if that's the goal i mean these could also be applied to platonic relationships and such okay partnerships and workplace relationships and all that um but when they do approach people they get scared that they're going to hurt them or even if it's taken too far they do hurt them um they fear being abandoned, but they struggle to, like, trust their partner and also to be reliant on them. 
And so they face like a lot of internal conflict between wanting intimacy, but also subconsciously pushing it away. And um, as a result, uh, their relationships will have like a lot of highs and lows and they cling to partners when they feel rejected and they can be susceptible to abusive relationships. And they also like the, what's it called? The, the other one, the dismissive avoidant. They can have very few close relationships with others. I don't. Uh, I don't know what to. I don't know what to put on. I. I. Uh, I don't have any commentary for the last for the one you just said. So I, we keep pushing over here, but um, <laughs> the last one is the secure, and honestly, it sounds what it is. It's essentially these people who have communicated through this, and they've been able to find, essentially, the happy medium, the equal battleground. Is that equal ground? They've been able to find equal ground. Let's just say that. And um, one thing that people who haven't achieved this secure attachment style yet, what they don't recognize or what they don't realize it because they haven't experienced it is all these people deal with perfecting relationships. They think that relationships are going to be perfect. Being in a secure attachment style or being in a secure relationship is not about perfection. If it was, it would be called perfection. It's about finding security. These people are still going to fight. They're still going to quarrel. But at the end of the day, they find security within each other because they're able to meet each other in the middle. So don't get twisted, folks. Relationships is never about perfection. It's about security and understanding. And, hmm, and last but not least, how do you build the perfect relationship? I mean, I've never had a perfect relationship. No. There's no such thing as a perfect relationship. Did you just hear what I said? <laughs> and see, you got me feeling it too. I almost answered it because that, that, was, that was the other time we coming out. It's like, there is perfect. There isn't. It's, it's about security, you know, and it's about communication. It's about understanding. And I think it's going to differ for each relationship. So the most important part is communication and being like, hey, yo, what do you want from this? What do you want to gain from this? Where, where are you at? Where's your comfortability? Where, what love language do you speak? What's your attachment style? understanding where they're coming from and understanding what their actions mean and the I don't want to say the actions behind their actions me I feel like huh I feel like in most it's kind of like the same way in most uh, African homes like hmm what is my okay like I know where you're going, but I'm going to claim my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but for more, most African homes, it's more like focusing on emotion isn't the move. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like they they don't they don't care they don't care. So honestly, for the first like, I mean, not that they're not loving because my parents are very loving. That's that's cap. If I said anything else, but it's more like. They're trying to make sure you grow as a person first, so you can get to yeah. like, like able to sustain yourself, and then you can figure all that stuff after, because it's not really as important. But yeah, that's kind of like why it's shaped the way I see. That's why a lot of personal time, and um, touch was it the other one touch I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those two are. That's why those two are my more go-to love languages mm-hmm. and i mean it's just common like i can't i can't speak from experience my what was it my great-grandfather's from sweden but i'm 
I've been in America for a hot minute. So like, but as far as like immigrant families, especially if you're a person of color, there's a lack of focus on emotions because they find that emotions aren't the thing that are going to get is going to be the thing that's going to get you through the day. You know, mm-hmm. it's about the effort that you put in. Mm-hmm. And so they don't focus on emotions be- and put it to the wayside because it's not something they primarily think of. It's more of like a coping technique for survival from what I've seen. I can't speak from personal experience. So yeah, I don't want to say like actions behind your actions because that sounds stupid, but I think it's like you have to understand, learn to understand where your partner and your, your own selves, what the meaning is behind your actions, you know, and that's where the enlightenment comes in. Plato. Go well to me. <laughs> <laughs> and wait a minute. Ah, oh, shoot. Um. Um. Wait, we're talking about love language, right? It's that's that's the next part, right? Well, the next part we've spoken about love languages. We've spoken about attachment styles. The last part is there's the love styles. Okay. Okay. All right, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so we've talked about um, love language. We've talked about the um, attachment styles. I'm, hmm. In a relationship, you'll feel love, right? If you practice these, if you practice these actions, you'll find love. So what is people's love style? Huh? Can you hear my? Oh, I don't even give a fuck. Can you hear my dad upstairs? Because I can tell him to shut up. I didn't know he was talking. Okay, cool. All right. Love styles. I don't know if he's still recording, but you can cut it out. I'm making you do more work. Um, <laughs> but um, the love styles. So let me give you a little intro first. So this also has a quiz. Love styles has a quiz. Um, I think it's like, girl, I'm not going to give you the URL, but I'm going to try. I think it's like howwelove.com or something. Um, it was made by marriage counselors Milan, Milan. It's spelled like Milan, but it's pronounced something different. Uh, Milan? Milan? Milan. Milan? I think it's Milan, and I hate it because my boss's name is Milan. No. You don't even know why you hate it. You don't just skip it. <laughs> <laughs> wife's name is Kay, <laughs> and their last name is Yurkovich, and like I said, they're marriage counselors, and through their expertise and through their workings, um, they have composed these, let me think, I think it's five different love styles, and so a love style is essentially like how we react to si- uh, certain situations, usually intimacy and relationships, depending on how we've been conditioned in our adolescence. And so it's essentially like our inclinations and our tendencies on how we react to our partners. Okay. But like I said, there's a quiz online. You should take it. It's fun. It's like 15 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) I also love quizzes. (laughs) You're a librarian. Librarian? No, librarian. A librarian. Yes. Yes. Okay, continue. Librarian girl. Please don't copyright me. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, there's um, five different types of love styles. And so the first one that I will talk about is a pleaser. Um, mm-hmm. And so the pleasers usually grow up in a home where the parent is overly protective, um, angry, and or critical. Um, as children, uh, they've learned that they essentially need to do everything that they can do to like be quote unquote be good or like quote unquote be on their best behavior and avoid troubling their highly reactive parent. Um, Pleaser children do not receive comfort, but instead they take on the role of comforting and appeasing their parent or parents. They're always, so in a sense, they're like always walking on eggshells around their house. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. terrible. Yeah. We don't want no smoke, like that type situation. Mm-hmm. And um, pleasers are uncomfortable with conflict and confrontation, um, so they have a hard time saying no, and they often give in and make up and become submissive or even lie to um, avoid confrontation and conflict, um, even if that means like discarding and compromising their own moralities and viewpoints, which, like I said earlier, you know, they're going to be compromising, not in the sense of, let me meet you in the middle, but they're going to be compromising in the sense of, let me compromise my own characteristics to bend to you. Um, as adults, pleasers tend to continuously monitor and read the moods of those around them in attempt to keep everybody happy. Um, however, when a pleaser feels stressed or resentful or feels like they aren't good enough, um, or they're letting their partner down, um, they will essentially just run away. Um, and what do you they'll mean? break down and flee from the relationship, whether that means breaking it off entirely or taking a break or just break down type shit. Um, pleasers will often spread themselves too thin because they're trying to be everything to everybody when it's just not realistic. Oh, okay. Um, and instead of like forming healthy boundaries, they focus more on the needs and the desires of others. Wow. Low key, I feel like that's a lot of kids. Why is this sounding like that? Low key, do you hear that? My dad's just being mad loud. What the fuck? Do you not hear my father? No, the thing is, like, when I'm talking, it, like, hits the computer, then hits my phone, and then hits the computer. Mm. Bada. Okay. Low key. Low key. Let me see if I can... I'm gonna be tripping up over my own words so bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Five, four, three, two, and... Low-key, I feel like that's what a lot of kids are being forced to live in, live into. Because, like, not necessarily me, but, like, I've known, I've seen a lot of people, especially, like, having not a respect for their parents, more of a fear. You feel me? So that's, that's kind of, like, where, what I'm trying to see, what I see from what you're explaining. Yeah. And I mean, it definitely depends on the environment of how you were raised and what is around you. I don't know how much of a percentage of people end up being 
the pleaser. I don't want to say genotype. What's that? But like, I think it's a bio a biology thing. Isn't genotype a bi- like a DNA thing? I hated biology. Moving on. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it really depends to each their own, you know. Mm. But I wouldn't say I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I feel it. I feel it. Huh? Do you feel like you fall for that? I mean, I think I have like some characteristics of that, like how I read moods. I'm very almost to the almost to the point of delusion. I am very good. Well, actually, if it's delusional, I'm not that good. But I feel like I'm very good at reading other people's moods to see when people are pulling away from me or when they're acting up. And I'm like, oh shit, you've changed. You're pulling away from me. You get the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but almost to the point of delusion, you know, and extreme overanalyzation. And so I see that in me. And again, with taking this quiz, yes, should mention that. So with taking this quiz, and not even like with taking this quiz, like even just hearing this information, one might think like, oh, I fall into multiple, like a lot of these categories. I, I, a lot of these resonate with me. Now, the thing is, depending on how your environment was growing up, you know, how toxic it was, children are blank slate. And so as they get accustomed to right and wrong, or, you know, just even understanding what's right and wrong, what they like, what they don't, what they're uncomfortable with, what they're not, they're going to try and escape somehow, or they're going to try and dampen and lessen the pain. And with that, maybe things aren't going to work. And so the more categories that you fall under this, it just shows how many trials and errors you had and how many things didn't work. So the more that you have, the more categories that you fall under just shows the harder that you tried, but nothing ever prevailed. Jesus. If that makes sense how I explained it. That sounds sad. I mean, kind of do be sad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I wouldn't say that the please is my main one, but I'd say that there are bits, bits and pieces. What is the next one? The, uh, next the next style. one is um, the victim. And it's not to be confused with victim mentality, um, but victims can come from chaotic homes with angry and violent and chaotic parents. Uh, the victim love style is really common in children who grew up in violently alcoholic households to the point where they actually, not the Yurkovich people, but um, psychologists actually made like a separate attachment style of like four different attachments for alcoholic children i don't know them off the top of my head i could kind of give like a brief characteristic of them but honestly i'm not that great at it um but anyway so um the victim is really common in um alcoholic households and victims learn to survive by quote-unquote like staying under the radar um and being compliant to minimize the focus of themselves and make themselves as invisible as possible by hiding and staying quiet um and because being fully present is often too overwhelming, especially depending on how young you are, as the younger you are, the more overwhelming it's going to be. And even on that, like, the more this builds up over time, the more you're going to reach your breaking point. You become stronger to it, but also you're going to have your breaking point. But anyways, um, but because, like, being fully present is too much pain, um, they, um, 
totally blank on what they do. Um, <laughs> but um, they'll, oh, yeah, they'll, like, deflect in by escaping into their own heads and creating their own, like, little fantasy worlds um, to lessen the pain and cope with the dangers that they face on a daily basis. Um, so victims often have low self-esteem and self-worth. Uh, and similar to any of these love styles, they can struggle with anxiety and depression or even PTSD as they grow up. Um, what's the other PTSD? I think it's attachment disorder. There's a, there's a lower grade PTSD called, I think it's attachment disorder. So that can definitely be applicable as well. Um, but anyways, back to my point, they tend to be a little bit more prone to these than other love styles. Um, but rather for them to engage uh victims learn how to be adaptable and quote unquote go through the motions or go with the flow um they're so used to stress and chaos in their life that when they do experience situations of little to no conflict it makes them feel uneasy because they're essentially just anticipating the next blow up that part (laughs) (laughs) that 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 last part to be hidden also um just because, like, again, like I stated, the more that you fall under, it just shows the harder that you tried as a kid. Mm-hmm. And to this day, to this day, if things get too quiet or I get really bad deja vu, and my deja vu is always negative. <laughs> and it's always something bad is going to happen. Like, somebody's going to start yelling at you. Jesus. And so, or like, worse, depending on the situation. And so I am definitely always anticipating, like, the next blow-up, the next time that shit hits the fan and things go haywire. And if things get too quiet, I'm like, something's about to happen. How do you heal from that? Because, like, that's a a terrible way to live. If you're always, like, just waiting for, like, the next, like, extreme situation to pop off. Therapy. Been through a lot of it. (laughs) Uh, therapy needs to be pushed more and it really needs it really needs to be pushed more because yeah because like Um, a lot of problems actually they should make it less they should make it like um insurance yeah like insurance should take care of it because like i feel like if if therapy was free then the stigma around it would be less because more people would go. And if more people goes, that means, like, the way... It's becoming normalized. Yeah, it'll become more normalized. But, like, crime would go down because like, I feel like that's that's a big part of crime. Uh, you're, you're triggering uh, something in my brain, and I think it means that you're right. <laughs> I just can't remember the exact statistic, but I know that I focused on that branch before, because sociology, when it comes to crime, is very, very interesting to me, as I'm going into sociology, so, um, but, yeah, no, it's definitely a big wheel of a machine, oh, that's it, there it is, there it is, so, um, this is a little bit of a different scenario, but I'm going to compare the two. Okay. I saw this tweet once, yes, very, very, very certified, but it really <laughs> made me think, you know, and <laughs> just, it makes it think, um, and he said, um, 
in higher class neighborhoods, they aren't less dangerous because there's more cops on the street. They're less dangerous because they have more resources. And so, and I've thought about that ever since because in situations where there's high crime, it's often that a lack of economic opportunity promotes high crime, and then high crime promotes a lack of economic opportunity, and it's just cyclical. And so I feel having resources to things that honestly should be public resources would definitely help with crime because crime is often a result of people feeling like they have nowhere to turn to. Speak your truth. Speak your truth. Thank you. <laughs> Going into sociology. <laughs> um, but um, also along with therapy, I think that the two main stigmatizations against it, or stigmatizations, I don't know if the stigmatizations or stigmatization type doesn't even matter, um, <laughs> is one, it's a lack of financial accessibility, and then two, we're not specifically depending on the socioeconomics that you're living in. Um, mental health isn't something that's taken seriously, or not even taken seriously, it's just not spoken about, it's still taboo, you know? And so people aren't gonna wanna admit that they go to therapy. You know, even even if they do, like it's, there's still gonna be a hesitancy to it. And so I feel like people don't go because they don't want to. They don't want to admit that they're getting help. They don't want to admit that they're experiencing these problems. And then also, too, if they admit that they're going to therapy, they feel like they're admitting that there's something wrong with them, because mental health and low mental health and struggling with these problems is equated to societally or yeah, that's right. Um, that it's wrong. And that should be accepted. But y'all ain't ready for that conversation. <laughs> I wish we were. I think we should talk about it and be ready for that conversation. Well, On another episode. Uh, which hopefully I'll be there for. <laughs> <laughs> What's, what is another style? Um, another style is... Um, the controller. Actually, uh, I am a liar because um, I forgot something about victims. <laughs> so let me go back to that for a second and then I'll go into controller uh, because the two connect and that's why I'm remembering this. So actually, as adults, um, victims may emulate their childhood by developing relationships with controllers, uh, which is another love style. And um, as I stated, and they'll try to find relationships that mirror the same tendencies as their parents in the environment that they grew up in. And if there are children involved in the relationship, the victim may even inflict that suppressed anger onto the offspring when the controller is not around. Damn. So the controller, controllers grow up in a home where there wasn't a lot of protection so essentially they learn how to toughen up and fend and take care of themselves sometimes from a very young age i'm i'm talking like possibly three years old type shit um that's not a statistic but when i'm saying young that's how young i'm meaning um controllers feel that they need to be in control at all times to ensure that the vulnerable negative feelings that they experienced in their childhood 
remain suppressed as they grow into their adult lives. Um, controllers believe that they're in control when they can avoid negative emotions like fear or humiliation or helplessness. Um, but the interesting thing is that co uh, controllers actually don't correlate anger as a negative or vulnerable emotion. Um, so they use that as means to um, stay in power and stay in control. Um, thus, that's where any anger and intimidation will also come in as well. Um, and they can be rigid and sporadic and unpredictable. And controllers also like don't like stepping outside of their own comfort zones because it makes them feel weak and unprotected. And you can see a pattern here. Um, <laughs> they prefer to solve problems on their own because they didn't have that help growing up. And asking for help makes them feel weak and not in control. And also, honestly, they just don't know how to ask for it, too, because they were never taught how to. They were always taught that they need to fend for themselves. Um, they like getting things done in a very certain way or else they get angry. Um, it's very much essentially like my way or the highway for them. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. With, hmm, like you said, my way or the highway. Okay. So, huh. The way and the connotation that you are using, it made it seem like it's in a negative light, right? My bad. <laughs> Is it supposed to be in a negative light? I feel like controller, that's the one where people are like, a lot of people will be scared here because people don't really like angry people. They don't know how to de rightfully de-escalate situations. So when they hear people in con uh, who are controllers, they're in distress, you know? Okay. And um, so I, I'm not necessarily, like, I don't think, again, I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing or the attachment style isn't necessarily a negative thing. It's how the person uses it, you know? Mm. Oh, it's kind of like the psychopath part. facet of their personality, of their, um, of their, for lack of a better term, pre-existing condition. <laughs> They're a whole ass human outside of that, you know? Okay. And depends if they're getting help or not, you know? Huh. Honestly, what I've noticed so far from all the stuff you're saying of the different type of love styles, it's like love is very vulnerable. Yeah. Like for all the ones that you said, it's like they're giving up a part of their well-being for the other person, right? Uh -huh. So I feel like that's a part of love that no one really likes to look at. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So, yeah. And again, like, I feel like it's just that we've been, do I want to save that for the next one? No, I'll say it now. <laughs> this, is, this is part of, this is part of the next one. I feel like it's just this, now this may differ for everybody, but I feel that there is this construct within love, at least Americanized love. I can't speak for other cultures and how other people do but within love it's this idea that loving someone requires self-sacrifice okay which 
brings me to my next one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so great at transitions. Um, which is the vacillator. Okay. The vacillator. Vaseline. The vas- I'm a vacillator. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm like proud of that, but I really need to know that for a moment. Um, so vacillators grow up in a household where there is an inconsistent and unpredictable parent. More parents. Um, growing up, vacillators learn that their needs are not a, tra- a top priority. And without this consistent parental affection, um, they develop a deep fear of abandonment. And so by the time that the parent is actually around and willing to give again, the child is often too tired um, of waiting and they're also too resentful. To They've outgrown it. Hmm? They've outgrown it. Yeah, essentially they're just like, I'm out, I'm, I'm, I'm over, I'm, it's not like I'm over it as in I, I don't feel any type of way towards it. It's just that they're too resentful to accept and receive it. Mm. And they're too tired of waiting. Um, and so like other love languages, vacillators can also struggle with trust issues. Um, as adults, uh, vacillators are on a quest essentially, uh, to find the consistent love that they never received as a child. Um, vacillators tend to idealize new relationships and once they feel let down or disappointed or doubtful because of their over idealizations, and their desire for extreme consistency, um, they react in defense as it reminds them of their childhood. And they think that the other person's intentions were intentional and they often feel misunderstood and they can experience a lot of internal conflict and stress because of their relationships. Um, They can be incredibly sensitive and deceptive to the point of delusion, um, which allows them to um, detect the slightest change in others which can make them worry that the other person is pulling away and abandoning them, even if the person isn't. Yeah, and and whole time, nothing's actually happen, happening. It's just mm-hmm. their own mind pushing a story that they want to tell themselves. Yeah, it's just their own mind playing games because they're just so used to being abandoned that they essentially flinch at any motion or change because they're expecting... The worst. The next, the next wave. Mm. Wow, I feel like a majority of people is that. That's the last one. Uh, I mean, I am. <laughs> yeah, because it's... Hmm, I feel like it's common, especially since, like, when you're young, you don't know what's happening. You don't, like, truly grasp what's going on around you. So, even at a young age, like, let's say, like, for your parents, if they're not, like, always, like, there... You might feel some type of way, especially if when you get older, you don't you don't get like the foresight to understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's what creates it so like effortlessly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the absence of that parent can it usually has to be more extended, but it can happen on any level of degree. It could be a parent who has problems with self-regulation. And so it's really angry one moment, and when they're really angry, they just drop the ball on everything, and they expect that child to be self-sufficient. But then the next moment, they're very incredibly overprotective and lovey-dovey, and they do everything for that child, you know? So it creates this polarity where this child doesn't know what to experience, and they're like, all right, during this time where my parent is at least emotionally and mentally away, I'm not top priority. 
And then it could also be in situations of an absent parent, whether that's an absent father or mother or a father or a mother who's away from for jobs, you know. It could be anything from, all right, I'm going to head out because I wasn't ready for a child or whatever the case may be, or I have a job obligation, you know. Wow. <sighs> and parents don't even notice. Parent, parents don't notice the the type of harm that's happening to their kid. Often they're just emulating what they learned from their parents. Yeah. You know? They, you can't recognize what you're doing wrong until you acknowledge it and until you're enlightened. Wow. Back to Plato. Wow. I know if you guys are still here, shouts out yeah. to y'all, by the way. If you're not, I'm mad at you because I like hearing my own self-talk and so you should too. That too. Give this episode five stars. Leave a comment on Apple Podcast. I very much appreciate that. And tell your friends. Follow me on Instagram at SenseiNK. Follow me at Twitter at SenseiNK. Add me on Snapchat at SenseiNK. And yeah. Follow me on Instagram at Greta E. Cross. Um, my Snapchat is in my stories. I will never say the name out loud. And <laughs> don't follow me on Twitter, please. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. And also, I. <laughs> um, there's can what's. Tell them what happened. Can we can we share with the audience? No, it's 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 oogie it's oogie it's oogie. Okay. And the last and the last love language is. <laughs> the last love style is um, avoiders. So avoiders come from homes that are often low in affection and place high value on independence and self-reliance. And so from my personal experience, this is absolutely not studied. This is just my personal experience out of the people that I know. Avoiders are, from what I've noticed, are actually really common in immigrant households. Um but um, avoiders learn how to take care of themselves from, uh, from sometimes at a very young age. And light controllers, I'm talking about maybe even three years old. Again, not an actual number that's been said, but just like think. Okay. A three-year-old at the stove cooking something, baby food. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, uh, they restrict and suppress their emotions and their feelings to adjust and cope with the anxieties of having little to no comfort from their parents and dealing essentially with the world on their own. Um, as adults, avoiders can be seen as emotionally distant or unengaged. Avoiders tend to like their space. Um, they can be put off guard or uncomfortable with affection, and they often just straight up rely on logic and... Um, experience over emotions um and um they can also rely on detachment more than emotions as well um they can get uncomfortable when people experience extreme emotions um that could be even in real life like if somebody starts crying like they're gonna okay so to the people who know this which are not y'all know that one video of miss juicy 
and that guy starts crying and she starts looking at him like and he's just crying yeah that's an avoider anyways uh, well i'm not saying mistress is an avoider but that is a good example of an avoider um but um like i said they can be um you know comfortable when people experience extreme emotions whether that's in a physical sense or even like maybe even like in a movie like if something starts getting like really intense and emotional the person on in the movie starts crying they might just be like why is she, why are they doing that this is making me uncomfortable um but they will get even more uncomfortable if the mood swing is intense so that's an avoider for y'all wow so it's basically just they avoid any real aggressive um, change in emotion. Mm-hmm. Wow! 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 Well, that's part of it. There's there's layers to it. Okay, the human mind is so so weird, so so weird. It's powerful. 